Today, as we continue our series about the armor of God, we go into detail about the belt of truth, its belief in action. Let's listen as Pastor Terry introduces our good friend and sister in Christ, Pastor Doty. I had approached our leadership team and I said, you know what, we're to the point where we need some additional clerical assistance and and what do you think about that? And they said, yeah, that's a good idea. And so they gave us to go ahead. And so I stood up one Sunday morning and said, you know what? I'm looking for somebody who might be able to fulfill this role. And maybe this is something we're going to do. And maybe hire somebody. And the short statured woman came and said, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to hire somebody? I can come in and, and, and I can do that and won't charge the church anything. Well, that started this young lady on a journey. On a journey of God calling her actually to ministry. And the last, last two and a half years, she has actually been studying for the pastoral ministry. No small thing. No small thing. And God has been using her more and more and more. And I just want to say, both these women are a testimony to us. But what God can do in our lives when we surrender them to him and trust him. It's a freedom that comes. A freedom that comes not only from knowing Christ and having our sins forgiven but knowing Christ and that he has a plan and a purpose in our life. I think both women this morning would tell you that it's not easy, and it's a journey that's kind of full of fear once in a while. And It's no small thing to get up in front of any group of people and lead singing or to bring God's word. But this morning I want you to give a round of applause because Kristen, who is studying to be a pastor, and she's almost there in her process, is going to be bringing the word of God as she opens up Ephesians 6 for you and for me. So give her a round of applause. Hard to follow up with all that. Goodness. Well, let's start kind of an imagination game. Let's imagine it's a Friday night. You're on your way home from work. It's been a monumentally rough week. You're exhausted, you're tired, you've just had it up to here with your week. And you get a phone call. Your best friend calls says, guess, guess what? I'm going to take you on a trip. We're gonna, I have a surprise for you. I know you've had a rough time, so when you get home, pack your bags. You're like, all right. Now you get home. Your heart's beating a little bit faster, kind of in anticipation. Your step's a little lighter. You're kind of, yeah, all right, I'm going away. Pull out your luggage, go into your closet. What are you going to pack? I don't know where I'm going. Hmm. Call your friend. They say, it's a surprise. I'm not going to tell you. So pack a little of everything, and you'll be prepared for anything. Hmm. We like to know where we're going, don't we? So we know what to pack. Nobody wants to uh, look foolish dressing awkwardly for something that we're not prepared for. You're not going to wear a tuxedo to the beach. You're not going to wear a clown suit to a funeral. It's important to know where we're going so we know what to wear. Pastor mentioned uh, we're studying Ephesians 6. And so what we're going to hear here from Paul is that you're going to war. And when you're going to war, here's what you need to wear. So we're going to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, 
starting in verse 10, reading from the New Living Translation. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth in the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I found it a little curious that Paul mentions a belt as the first piece to put on. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get dressed, the belt is the last thing I put on. It's kind of an accessory item, kind of an afterthought that you put on before you leave the house. So I started thinking, why would he put your belt on first? That's just, that's silly. How are you going to get your pants on over a belt? So I want to introduce a couple of different translations of, of what he meant by this belt. So let's look at the New King James uh, Version. says it this way in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And the New American Standard Translation says the same thing. It says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Gird. That's not a word we hear too often in our day and time. But when you gird something... It's, it's a surrounding, it's a, it's a wrapping around to support and strengthen. And it was a word that you find a lot in Scripture. Um, whenever they were going into battle, whenever they were going into a time that was going to be difficult, you find that word, gird yourselves, gird yourselves. David said it this way about David in Psalm 18.39. He said, For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued me under those who rose up against me. So the early church, they were familiar with this word. When, when that word gird was used, it was this sense of a wrapping around of protection, of support and strength. And so this belt really was the crucial piece of the armor. And that's why they had to put it on first. What they did was this girdle that they put on, it was, a, it was a piece that the breastplate connected to. It was a place where the sword was held. They couldn't have security in their armor without the belt being on first. Because if they didn't have the belt, the armor was ineffective and it was useless. But it wasn't just any belt. Paul calls it a belt of truth. So that leads us to the infamous question, what is truth? It's a famous question that Pilate stood before Jesus and, and asked him. So let's take a look at what Pilate said. John 18, verse 37. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. 
For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. In that moment, Pilate asked the single most important question facing all of mankind. The irony is he was standing before the one that could explain truth to him, define it right there. It was, he was truth, but Pilate walked away. He didn't want to hear it. Like many people today, maybe he was comfortable in his own definition of what the truth really was. Maybe he was worried about this new perspective disrupting his life. But even today, philosophers, scholars, they're still struggling with trying to define truth. You'll hear things, truth is abstract, truth is individual, truth is based on your personal experience. <clears throat> They'll just talk circles around truth. You can read papers on truth. They just talk circles. They do this and this and this, but they never define it because they say there, there is no way to define it. But I'm going to throw out there, there are three elements that truth has to have. Three basic things that we can say, okay, that would be truth. So let's see. First one would be, it has to be based on reality. <clears throat> it's the way things are. So let's say, I'll say my hair is black. Okay? My hair is black. You can say, okay, well, maybe it's black, but it looks pink to me. The second element would be, truth is consistent and universal. Whether you believe it is true or not, truth is truth. So you may say, well, no, your hair's pink. And I can say, well, yeah, it looks pink, but it's not pink, it's black. The third element is that truth never changes. Truth is truth, never changes. So I could say, yes, my hair looks pink because I'm trying to change it. But the reality is that my hair's black because God made it black despite whether I try to change it or not. So let's take a look at this definition of truth from John MacArthur's book, Truth Wars. This is, this is how he takes scripture and defines truth using these three elements. He says, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, glory, and being of God. Simply put, it is the self-expression of God. Truth is the reality of the way things are because the way things are is the way God made it. Philosophers, scholars, they keep trying to define truth, but they're trying to take the creator of truth out of the definition. That would be like me and you trying to explain an apple without using the things that make it an apple. You can't do it. <clears throat> But when we go to scripture, we get very clear pictures of truth. Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life in John 14.6. and 14.6. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of God. He's truth incarnate, which is the irony part about, you know, standing before Pilate and him just 
being blinded to it. And Jesus even further testified that the word is truth. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And Peter further validates the word when he says this, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. In these few verses, what we see, all those elements of truth that I just mentioned, they come together with the perfection and the reality of God in his creation. The eternal attributes of him and his word, it all just comes together in God, the Father, in Jesus, in his word. That is the very definition of truth. That There's, there's no way to, to try to wiggle anywhere. That's it. <laughs> One of the things that tends to trip us up is that we, we get hung up on this idea that truth can't change. We think, we try to wrestle it to the ground, say, oh, but this, this is, no, this changed. Look, see this? So let's use an example. Let's say 100 years ago, well, lots of years ago, <laughs> um, people believed that the world was flat. Okay, and that was truth of the time. The world is flat, but wasn't really flat. We found out much later through technology that the earth was round. That never changed the fact, the truth, that the earth was always round. Our, our understanding of the truth changed, but the truth never changed. The earth was still round. God's word even testified to it before the science backed it up. Isaiah 40.22 said, God sits above the circle of the earth. Job 26.7 says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Wow. So it's simply just our understanding that changes, not truth itself. But the world still tries to tell us that truth is subjective that it's just relative to our experiences. The world's trying to convince us that all truth is based on what the majority of the people believe. Well, if you have the majority of people here that say this, and just a few here that say this, then they must, that must be the truth. But the truth is not whatever makes us feel good. It's not what we choose it to be. It's not just truth because it's something that is out there. Truth is truth because it's steady, unchanging, and absolute. Truth is truth because God created it. I challenge you to try and define truth without using God in the definition. You can't. Now, one thing that scholars do all agree on regarding truth is that your view of the truth impacts your behavior. It impacts how you live. And that's why the belt of truth is so important. Because if your belief of a truth is skewed, then nothing else in your life is going to seem to fit together correctly. And Satan is fully aware of that. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Terry, when he opened up this sermon series, he was uh, talking about the schemes of Satan. And among those were blinding the minds of unbelievers and uh, stealing God's word from us. 
We've seen him do it since the beginning of mankind, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan, who's referred to as a murderer, prince of this world, master of lies, he always takes God's word, and he's always trying to twist it into something something that just makes us feel comfortable, something that just makes us feel good in the moment. Let's go back to, to Genesis 3. The first words we hear Satan utter, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? In this one sentence, he plants a seed of doubt in Eve's mind and causes her to rethink and question her whole belief about God. He's crafty, he's sly, and he continues to do it today. He has the world convinced that we're all the same. We're all just on different paths to the same destination. He says that's what's good for me is good for you. And what's bad for you is bad for me. We're all the same. He also says that I'm more important than you. He also says that I don't need to forgive you because you should hurt the way I hurt. Church, do not miss the importance of, of what this essential piece of armor is for us. Because belief in Jesus as our Savior, it will provide you with that belt of truth. Because it's going to be the foundation of your life as a follower of Christ. But we have to put it on. It doesn't do any good to hang our belt in a closet and just look at it. In our armed forces in this country, soldiers wear uh, camo fatigues. And... The whole goal of that is so they'll kind of blend into their surroundings and not be seen by the enemy. It's a matter of survival. But in the God world, everything is turned upside down. And if you're blending into your surroundings, if you're kind of looking like everything around you, you better check what side you're on because you need to be standing out. Your armor needs to be putting you out there. Now, when we put on the belt of truth, it's, it's belief in action. That's putting on the belt of truth. That's what it is. It's an embracing of truth to the point that our life reflects it. I'm going to read from 1 Peter uh, 1, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, gird up, there's that word again, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to skip down to verses 22 and 23. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's a reflection of the kingdom, not the world. We're not called to reflect the culture. We're commanded to reflect the kingdom of God 
Church, we are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen people, dearly loved by our Heavenly Father, but we need to act like it. The truth of God's word is countercultural. Jesus was a radical and went against every societal norm. Because when you apply God's word and God's truth to your life, you're going to stand out. You're going to look different. You're going to be a target. Satan tells us that the Bible is an outdated book, that it doesn't apply to our life. But the truth is, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us for life. Satan tells you to hold a grudge. Satan tells you to sue your neighbor and get what is rightfully yours. But the truth is, Jesus commands us to love our neighbor, pray for our enemies, and bless those who curse us. Satan tells us to keep our faith to ourselves. Don't share it, you'll get persecuted, he says. But the truth is, Jesus is telling us to let our light shine before men through acts of love, through acts of compassion, because that's how they're going to know you belong to me. Satan tells us that church is unnecessary or a go-when-you-feel-like-it kind of event. But the truth is that we don't go to church every week just because it makes us feel good. The truth is we don't go to church just because we feel happy. The truth is that we go to see lives transformed by the power of God. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for everybody else. So we can go out there and say, look at my God. Look what my God has done. That's what it's about. That's the truth. But we get tripped up because we want to be in control ourselves. We, back to the Garden of Eden, we want to be our own God. We want to be in charge. So we take our beliefs, and then we go to Scripture and say, oh, how can it fit? How can I take my belief? Where is it in Scripture? It's going to be in here somewhere. I was watching... Um, a video someone had posted on Facebook the other day. And it was all about, I have found the, the backup for same-sex marriage. I found it. There's scripture. I found it. And they posted a video. And that's, that's, that's it. It's, it's taking your belief and, and going into scripture and saying, hey, look, I found this verse. Anybody can do that. We have to go to scripture knowing scripture's the truth, and then pull it back into our lives and say, how does it apply? Because we keep letting Satan feed us lies that make us feel good, and then we lose the most powerful weapon we have against him, the power of the truth, the truth of our almighty God. We're becoming irrelevant. We're becoming impotent and ineffective because we're giving up the right to Satan. We're giving up on the truth. We're not pulling it into our hearts, making it a part of us. We're just saying, oh, yes, I know that verse. I know that verse. But not putting it into our lives, not putting it into action. Last week, the Supreme Court came out with a much-anticipated ruling. My Facebook and Twitter were lit up with a celebratory tagline that said, love wins, love wins. 
Now, no matter where you fall on this issue, the truth is, loved one 2,000 years ago on the cross when Jesus shed his blood for you and for me, when he made us new creations and restored our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that is the love that wins. That is the truth, is the Father loves us, every one of us. That's it. It's that love that forms a foundation and reveals the truth. The truth that God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Don't underestimate the power in our armor. The power that's available to us only because of Jesus' blood on the cross. Jesus is our truth. He's the foundation for everything else in our life fitting together. You see, this belt of truth is, it's so foundational. Because if you don't start with Jesus, nothing else is going to fit. Nothing, you're going to be struggling, you're going to be trying to make it work, and it's not, it's not going to work. That's why this belt of truth is so crucial for the armor to connect. Because with this armor, it, it puts a target on our back, but it's also the best protection we have. I'm going to give you an acronym for, for protect, for the armor, to just give you an idea of really the power that we're, we're not tapping into. First thing that we get with the armor is that Jesus offers us his power to overcome. We can't do it without him. He also offers us his righteousness to live a life of purity. Jesus is the omnipotent and the omniscient one. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but he does. We don't need to worry about it. Jesus is the trustworthy one. When it feels like everyone else has left us, he's the one still by our side. Especially when Satan tells us we're alone. Jesus is the one who offers us eternal life free from the trials and struggles of this world. It's out there on the horizon for us. And Jesus is the one who cares about the details of our life. When Satan says, no one cares, no one cares, no one cares, Jesus cares. And in Jesus, we're triumphant. And that allows us to fight from victory, not for victory. And that's where the battle's won. The battle's won before we even start. We just don't realize it. Now, I started this morning with an image of a good friend calling you, recognizing your, your rough week. But the truth is that Jesus is calling every single one of us. He's saying to our weary souls, I know it's been hard. I know your walk is hard. Just come with me. Take my hand. I don't know what tomorrow holds. You guys don't know what tomorrow holds. But when we buckle on that belt of truth and we clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life for us, we're going to find the strength to fight the battles that are ahead of us. I'll leave you with this verse from Romans. Romans thirteen eleven through 14. 
This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourselves think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Church, the truth is there. Don't walk away like Pilate. Embrace it. Make it a part of your everyday life. Make it a part of the way you live your life. It's going to make all the difference.